0: Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast.
1: Hello everybody, welcome to the ESPN Footy Pod for another week proudly sponsored by Subway. Nothing's as big as a footlong. Matt Walsh, Jake Michaels and Christian Jolly in the studio once again to talk all things footy. We're going to chat the finals race, the Lesser lights who can make a big impact in September, the latest, latest drama out of South Australia and some precious stats. But before we get into the main body of the podcast, Jake, something from round 21 which took your interest. Uh, well, the first thing I noticed was in the Bulldogs game where Marcus Bontempelli spoiled
0: a ball out of bounds and the ball went flying straight into a little kid's face. And Ooh. the thing I noticed was not so much that, but the fact that the Bont, because you couldn't see where the ball went from the camera angle, but the Bont went straight over and sort of put his hand up and went over to, ma- to, to make sure the, the, the little kid was okay. Few tears on the that, that on the boundary.
1: It doesn't tickle, does it? Oh, Have you coughed no. one to the face before? Yeah,
0: well, I played a lot of soccer in my earlier years, and I tell you what, a, a wet day, oh. heavy ball, just. Oh. That hard kick into your—it's f- like you've been punched in you're, your
2: face. You're right. It, it doesn't tickle, but I just wonder if there was uh, any free merchandise or anything that that kid might have. Surely, out of that. surely the dogs. Surely have, the bond have, signed a
1: jersey. Yeah, well, we'll have to ask Kylie, who uh, works in the office. Yeah. Kylie Watson Williams, president. We should, of the uh, dogs. we should ask Dunks as well. Maybe, yeah. maybe he signed maybe we something. Know. Uh, the weekend. soccer ball just tipped me off. A Cold night in December. I went and saw a, a British EPL game. Queens Park Rangers Man City it was the game when and you can YouTube this because it's it's actually really bad but Yaya Toure blasted one at the goals from outside the box and it hit a five-year-old in the face and it was just the most well it was harrowing because you're like firstly five-year-olds probably shouldn't cop hits that big, um, but it's come from one no. of the you know one of the best kicks from long range in, oh, in Premier League history. he
0: was a power striker of the
1: ball. And you can see in the video, it just snaps back. Thankfully, the bonds one didn't look as bad as that, uh, but surely. And that, that kid at the time did get a swag of gear, so we might have to follow up and make sure the dogs follow through and, and find yeah. this, this kid and, and get them some swag. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you said something else, you know? So that was one, That was the f- sort of first thing, but then the actual, to, to the truest
0: definition of something I noticed, I was watching... <laughs> um the same well same game yeah uh and it's just straight after half time and you know when you you're watching you almost have a deja vu moment watching footy or any sport and it's like I've seen that image before and the image for me that that sparked that was seeing Matt Tabner on the bench after half time with the little fox fox sport fox footy graphic of him being subbed out and I thought I've seen him subbed out numerous times. It's not just once or twice. So I, actually, I, I, th- I asked Christian, I said, surely the- Matt Tabernar is the most subbed out player in the, in the sub era.
2: Yep, and it was, uh, I think, yeah, you worded it, you know, I could be way off here, and again, 15, 15 years working in the industry, you do get a lot of stabs in the dark and queries where people are either way off or they nailed it. You nailed it. And so, in the last two years, he's been subbed off five times, which is the equal most of any which player. Which is
0: a lot in not even two full seasons, five times. Yeah,
2: so it's, a, you know, it's about 42 weeks, and he wouldn't have played every game. I haven't looked at how many yeah. games he's played, uh, but he you probably, probably missing out out. yeah.
0: He's had a lot of, I feel like he's had a few hamstring injuries and just... I've seen him on the back of the bench with ice on his hamstrings
1: so many times. See, Tabernod wouldn't have been my first choice, but uh, there are a few names that do sound familiar to me on the list as well. Yeah,
2: when he when Jake sent the email through I tried to guess who mine was. I couldn't really pick it, but when I saw the equal most it was Dion Prestia. Mm. And I I think if there was a multiple choice and Dion Prestia's name in there, yeah. He would have been one that for me I can you know picture Amsterdam. a couple of reckon, last year and so had he that had that.
0: five two, I reckon four soft tissue injuries and then the obviously the uh concussion with Tom Stewart a few weeks back. Yeah, that wasn't a good look was it? No, no it wasn't Fish and then yeah, and then oh, no.
2: one other sub player that sort of stood out. I mean, there's a there's a bunch of guys on three, but another one player on four is Ben Mackay, and that was the one that surprised me. I can picture the one early this season where he was on fire. I think he took about seven intercept marks in the first half and got subbed out at halftime. But yeah, he's had four um, four times he's been subbed off, which again, sort of an important mm. important part of North Melbourne side getting taken off Well, regularly. Every time
1: they play Carlton the next week, he tends to get <laughs> subbed out and miss the next week. Isn't that one of the running jokes? Christian, something you noticed from the weekend?
2: Well, um. Yeah, sort of probably more in the wrap-up. I was reading a few things, and I must admit, I won't, I won't say where I read it, but where I read this uh, piece of information was actually wrong, but it made me look further into it. So what I read was, uh, it was basically results in Victoria, and I think it was worded that Frio is the only team to win more than one game. In it first, The only interstate team this mm-hmm. season I mean, more than one game in Victoria, uh, which wasn't quite right because Sydney are two and three as well. Right. But Frio's record in Victoria just has to give them confidence going into the finals. I know... To play in a state, they might, they might cop a Brisbane or a Sydney might have to play there. But again, coming to the MCG, you'd think during finals, in Victoria this year, they're five wins, one loss and one draw. Mm. That draw being uh with Richmond. So look the, at all Blues, are the Pretty impressive.
0: Blue's the only team to beat them in in Victoria this year.
2: Correct, oh. yeah. And the Blues you look are gonna be the... on the wrong end of a lot of statistics we feel <laughs> <Yeah. heal> today. <laughs> you look at the the other interstate teams, I mean Sydney's also competing for finals, they're two and three. Brisbane are one and three, obviously, you know deep into the finals. Mm. Um, I think Adelaide and Port Adelaide were both 0 and 4. Adelaide were 1 and 3. Uh, and GWS were 1 win and, you know, 4 losses or something. So, yeah, Frio sort of one of those teams, again, that might be predicted to play maybe a Geelong um, at the MCG, which, you know, they'd have to come in full of confidence thinking, well, we can we can do this. Well, they've We've already knocked off the
1: Cats this year at GMHBA. Arguably a tougher, tougher ask as well. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, something I noticed... Uh, obviously there's a very high profile MRO case which is going to go to the tribunal Uh, depending on when you're listening to this it's tonight Tuesday night because Patrick Cripps has been suspended after his high bump high contact on uh, Calamarchie which left the lion concussed and out of the game so he's been suspended for two weeks but something I noticed was in another game the GWS uh, Essendon game and big Braden Pruce uh, coming out of a, a centre contest, Zach Your Merritt man. has the footy and goes to hand pass the ball. Hand passes the ball, and Proust comes through with a high shoulder or an elbow and cops Merritt high, um, and play goes on. Why wasn't that cited by the MRO? No idea. I did know I did see that as well, um, and I didn't know it wasn't cited at all until mm. you until you were talking about it earlier. So it was cited. Bruce this year has been cited four times. The preseason he tackled on Grundy and got suspended. I don't know if you remember that, but I remember was, that. One. Yeah, uh, in round four he hit Mundy and got suspended. I remember I believe. that. Yeah, round fourteen uh, he laid a tackle on a dangerous tackle on Tim English and was cited. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he got suspended for that one or not. Uh, and in round twenty-one he, he hit James Rowbottom in the in the Sydney Derby as well, and uh, he's been done again. So this uh, we, we missed out this time. So that would have been five times. At what should have been five times this year that he would have been cited by the MRO. I tell you what, he's really filled the Shane Mumford boots yeah. at the Giants, hasn't he? Bit bit grubby at times, I think. I think he, he needs to, to clean up his act a little bit because the things that he is getting cited and suspended for uh, are not in the spirit of looking after your opposition player and, and, and putting the welfare of players first. Mm. So maybe a little advice for Prusci is just to... Just tone it down a bit because it's getting a bit bit ridiculous. Time to have a spell, I reckon. Well, he, he should have been having a spell, but he's been ticked off for this week. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> let's get into it. It's finals race is heating up, Jake. The pies are just keep on winning. Oh, it's just week after week, isn't it? Uh, and we're gonna have a chat about some interesting little tidbits about them. But uh, once again, another close match. Another well, it was a thriller on Friday night. Best as a game r- of the season. There's been a few good ones. The Bombers one that was pretty good. The Bombers. Bombers pies. Bombers Pies I mean any game that Collingwood's been involved in
0: yeah true (laughs) I think just yeah I I thought that game was awesome to watch I I watched that on the couch very finals like atmosphere and just great like it had periods of periods of real high high scoring end to end and then it had just like arm wrestle period as well and then obviously the tight finish and Collingwood coming back and I thought it just had everything. Great it's crazy, game to watch.
1: Crazy at this time of the season, where you do get games like that, where finals and top four spots are on the line, and the the pressure and the intensity and the um the just just the atmosphere of the games is so high. Mm. And then the next day, you can have a game like Hawthorne and Gold Coast in Launceston in front of five thousand oh, people, and it's just, just the biggest dead rubber ever.
0: Yeah, especially the fact that I I you know I'm I'm colour so it doesn't help. But <laughs> trying to trying to see the difference between that Hawks strip and the yeah. sunstrip without the blue that's was another thing I noticed. just I couldn't tell the difference why weren't they wearing the blue or I, the white I don't know the blue?
1: that's interesting uh, but the D's in danger of falling out of the four all of a sudden and well yeah you're now at the point where the reigning premiers need to win their last two matches I've got Carlton at the MCG this coming weekend and then they finish the season with Brisbane at the Gabba which we talked about last week is a very very tough assignment hmm. Um it's a real possibility they don't make the four. Can they win the flag from outside the four? I don't think they can. I don't believe teams can do it. I
0: know we saw the Bulldogs do it 6 years ago, but so much was made of that and how heroic that performance was. I don't I would not be even slightly confident a team can win four finals in a row, and not to mention you're going to have to win at least two of them on the road to be able to to go all the way. So I'd say no, they must be top 4. And if you look at who they've got, they're obviously playing Carlton this week and then, as you said, Brisbane. They have to win both. They can't just beat Carlton and then lose to Brisbane. They, they won't make the four. It's so tight now with, with with six teams. They could finish as low as sixth. If they beat
1: Carlton and lose to Brisbane, they could finish sixth. Yeah, depending on how percentages go. Well, yeah. We talked about Collingwood's percentage for a long time being, you know, or they might fall out of the eight if they end on the same number of wins as, you know, any of the other teams below them that have a, has a better percentage. But they're now entrenched in the top four. Mm. Uh, and you think that they're they're quite likely to finish in that top four despite being, um, you know, they've got a tough, tough matchup this week against Sydney, in which they're not the favorites despite being higher than them on the ladder. Hmm. So it's it just goes to show how um, look crucial the last two weeks is for so many teams and for so many reasons. And we were talking about the pies before and their percentage. You dug up some interesting bits and pieces about that, Christian.
2: Yeah, so they're currently at one hundred six point three percent on the ladder. Um, and I feel like they've
0: been on one hundred six point something for, for ten weeks.
2: Quite a while, yeah. So which is um, and they're second on the ladder. So going to look at you know top eight era. So the last twenty five years or so. Uh, no team has been that high on the ladder with such a low percentage. So uh, a few other teams have made it top four with a lower percentage. So in 1997, the Bulldogs made third with a percentage of 101.8%. So just barely, you know, winning the season, if that's how you look at percentage. Uh, Melbourne in 98 made it with uh, fourth at 102.7. And in 2000, North Melbourne also finished fourth with 106 point, uh, 106.2%. So... Collingwood, the fourth lowest of any top four team, but no team's ever finished higher than third mm. uh, with such a low percentage. And just looking at where those seasons have ended for teams with um, a low percentage finishing in the top four, basically out of the nine or ten teams, there's one team that got knocked out in the semi-final, so finished third. So that was Sydney in 98, so basically went out in straight sets. One team made the grand final, or, albeit they lost in the grand final, which was Collingwood in '02. 2 they finished fourth with a percentage of 109.7, eventually lost to Brisbane in the grand final. All the other seven have finished in the prelim. So it's almost like Collingwood's sweet spot looking at the yeah. stats. So winning at least one Yeah, final. they're probably not going to get knocked out in straight sets, but history tells you it's, you know... With yeah. such a low percentage, it's very hard to make a grand final. Yeah. So, but again, Let alone win one. Well, winning so, one yeah. final, not at least, you, yeah. you win one. Yeah, so they, they should be able to get through to at least a prelim the way it's looking if they can hold on to this top two spot.
1: Well, the double chance will help immeasurably. And we talked about the percentage and how a little bit out of the box it is, but the way they're winning is still out of the box, Jake. Like on Friday night, they lost uh, the disposal count by 93, the clearance count by 20, negative 14 -14 in cent clearances. Uh, they were minus 20 in inside 50s it was a smashing uh, and and still managed to do it and we talk about Melbourne's strength as as a as a clearance team and a uh, a team around the the contest but Collingwood's strength is its able its ability sorry to run from defence and set up and have players like nick Dacos who can just pinpoint hand passes or kicks and and mm. and pendlebury and all these players that they they run forward and you look at the, how they transitioned against the bombers that that time a couple of weeks ago that's their strength. And so Melbourne's strength actually almost played into their strength on Friday night. And that's maybe why they've got had the wood on them the last few times yeah, they've played.
2: And that's what stood out to me looking at the numbers coming into the game was Melbourne were the number one, you know, even in, in recent form, I think they were at least still top three contested ball team, clearance team, go in, win the footy first. Collingwood were 16th, 17th or 18th in that stat, but top three for pressure. So Collingwood know they're not going to get to the ball first, but they let you get it first, pressure you, turn it over and then score on the turnover. So... With those clearance differentials and contested possession differentials, you you can't plan for that. But I think Collingwood would have went in knowing, okay, we're probably, best case scenario, we break even in contested possessions with Melbourne. But we're probably going to lose it. So we Mm. really need to be switched on outside, putting the pressure on. I mean, they did that in the first half. But the second half, to me, they reversed the game. They started to win forward territory. And Melbourne could not get it out of their back half. So they almost, to to me, watching Collingwood, they won in two different game styles. They sort of... Uh, conceded the ball, but was sort of able to put pressure and sort of, yeah, get you on the turnover. But then, the, especially the last quarter, they just dominated territory in the... I know that the inside 50s say different, but in terms of when Collingwood got it forward, there was no way Melbourne was going end-to-end. Collingwood were either going to score the next goal and it go back to the centre, or sort of Melbourne were going to get locked down and bogged down in there. So, yeah, the numbers sort of wouldn't have surprised Collingwood because they haven't been a big contested ball team they've been much better at territory than they were in that game but again their pressure and their ability to sort of pounce on the opposition's mistakes is what's making them dangerous we mentioned a big
1: game sorry Jake this week uh, does the streak end against the Swans well I said it ended
0: it would end on Friday night I said Melbourne would <laughs> would win by 35 points and if you looked at the stat sheet you probably say they do win by 35 40 points so it was just an, you've got to give cr- credit to Collingwood's resilience you know they don't People say all the time, "Oh, this team—they don't give up." It's like you would say that about anyone, but also, is it does—is it really true? Mm. The Collingwood's resilience and belief is incredible, and it's and, infectious. Yeah, it is, and it also rubs. And the other team, the opposition, knows it. Mm-hmm. And you can't tell me if they're going to be playing in a semi-final or a prelim with the, if this kind of record continues. Um, and who's to say it won't because I've said it won't three times and I've been wrong every time if it does continue and a game is sort of you know a single, fi- figure, single, single figure margin going into the final quarter you, you don't think the opposition's fully aware it's it's really impressive I, I couldn't have been more wrong about calling at the start of the year but I'm glad they're having a great year they've been a great team to watch and some of the transition yep. bold brave ball use I, Darcy Moore I reckon he had three or four yep. kicks
2: Straight up the middle, just
0: fifty meter bullets up the middle, which opened the whole ground up, and all the Melbourne's mids were, they were either just in front of the ball or just behind the ball, and it just they were just exposed instantly, and kind they were able to transition. There there would have been four or five times they took the ball from a kick in or the back pocket inside forward fifty in about twelve seconds. Really impressive. Um but, yeah, you still then... I know they won, and I know there are impressive signs, but you still look at, I look at the stat sheet and all the things that we say, and it's like, if this is the NBA, and this is the best of seven series, do Melbourne really win this 4-1? Like, are Melbourne that much better? They just That was such
1: an out-of-the-box game? I, I don't know the answer to that. Mm. Yeah, it is interesting, but the Pies are now guaranteed to play in September. So are the Cats, so are the Swans, so are the Lions, uh, so are the Ds. and the Dockers have now also sewn up a spot. Uh, but there is a couple of spots still up for grabs, the Tigers are currently in one of those spots and the Blues are currently in one of those spots. And be, We talked about the Blues last week, Jake, and you got a bit of a grin on your face, but things aren't looking too good for Carlton. It's, n- it's not a happy grin. Um, no, it's probably not a happy grin. And the likely team that we think will probably aim to take that spot with a couple of big wins uh, in the next couple of weeks is the Bulldogs.
0: Yeah, well, the Bulldogs really could have put Carlton's season to bed if they'd been able to beat Frio, even though they would have still been behind, but with two very winnable games with Carton, with two very tough games, you would say that it was going to be almost impossible for the Blues to hold on. The doors open though with that loss to Frio, so the Bulldogs have to win both. Uh, just trying to think of and by got, enough as well, Hawks and the Giants. Yes, so they'll be they'll be significant favourites in both those games, um, and the Blues obviously, as we've said a couple of times, Melbourne and Collingwood. Yes, which the Blues will be outsized in both, particularly especially if. Paddy Cripps isn't playing. Um, it's going to come down to the why, because the percentage is at the moment at Carlton a couple of percent more. But obviously, if if the Bulldogs are winning games and Carlton are losing, then that's going to flip. So they're going to end up having a better percentage if they win both and Carlton lose both. And it they the Blues having been there since day two of the season in the top eight, beating <laughs> beating the Tigers in on the, on the Thursday night second Thursday game, night, which was after the. Wednesday night opener remember that that was weird wasn't it yeah that was a good game too bit of a throwback yeah (laughs)
1: Um, the Blues could fall out on the last day well so there are four sides that are vying for the two spots there's there's Carlton there's uh, Richmond there's St Kilda and there's the Western Bulldogs are any of these teams going to be able to make an impact if they make it Christian
2: yeah again I think of those four teams numbers and the way sort of they've performed against other top eight teams this year Richmond's probably the only one that sort of stands out to me that could Probably you know win a final if not two um, you know I think they'd be they'd be outsiders in probably any of the finals they play but there's sort of a chance so again looking at the four teams versus top eight um, this year so I mean Richmond are only three four and one so three wins four losses and a draw obviously against Frio but a percentage of ninety nine percent in those in those games against top eight so almost mm. breaking even uh, you look at the Bulldogs three and eight against the top eight seed top eight sides eighty four percent. Uh, in those games, St. Kilda 4-6 and six at 83%, and Carlton 3-5 and five at 93%. Um, and a couple of, those, you know, a bit of percentage boosters earlier in the season uh, mm. than late in the season for Carlton. And also just looking at form in the last four weeks. So again, looking at form against top eight, Richmond probably gets a tick there. Form the last four weeks, I mean, just looking at the way teams are playing, Bulldogs are dropped down for 10th for points for, 12th for points against. They've, uh, you know, 15th at sort of stopping the opposition from scoring once they get the ball. Um, They're 17th for stopping the ball from, you know, moving from end to end. So their defence is really broken down. Um, St Kilda's defence has been really good. They've been the hardest team to score against, but 15th for points four across the last four weeks. So, you know, can't score. Um, (laughs) Not great to watch the Saints. Seeing Carlton sort of their scoring has totally dried up. They're 16th for points four in the last four weeks, 16th for scoring once inside 50. And the mm-hmm. worst thing is 16th for inside 50 differential, So the ter- they're, they're not even winning awesome. territory and can't score once in there. Reads like a bottom 16. Whereas if you look at Richmond again, they're sort of, um, yeah, sort of sixth for points for, oh, sorry, ninth for points for, six for points against. They're not killing it, but again, better numbers than the other three teams. And again, a, a big part of their game is turnovers. They're third mm-hmm. from points from turnovers the last four weeks. So what they want to be their strength has been their strength the last four weeks. I think they're starting to get themselves into gear. Whereas you sort of run your eye over especially Bulldogs and Carlton, the numbers have probably gone backwards to where they were earlier in the season.
0: Yeah, I think it's clearly the Tigers. Of those four, the Tigers are the one that um, can have the most impact in finals and the team that would concern the opposition. But as, as you kind of alluded to, if they were to finish eighth, seventh or eighth, which is what they would finish the Tigers, they would be playing could
2: play they, Melbourne they, at the
0: G. They, yeah, that's exactly right. They could play Melbourne at the G, and Melbourne would be favoured in that game. But would you be surprised if Richmond beat them? No. Probably not. And I know we're getting way ahead of ourselves, and <laughs> Melbourne could go out and win the next two and Is the finish season. second. And, but it's just these sliding door moments. Like, you know, we spoke about it with Jack Silvani being dropped against the Crows, and then the Blues lose a game that they should have won or you'd expect them to win nine times out of ten and that could cost them the season little things that just have these domino and follow on effects and yeah it's like couldn't from the starting the season 10-0 and or 11-0 whatever they were to could they go
1: out first week of finals <laughs> it's on the board at the moment yeah there's some strange bingo cards that are being looked at very closely with some check marks uh, just with the pen hovering bit of a tenuous link but you talk about sliding doors and the little moments which can have a big impact we were talking in the office earlier before we started recording this podcast about the players the lesser lights those that you might not immediately think could but those that possibly could have a really big impact in finals those sort of X-factor players that can have you know an explosive 10 minutes, some clutch plays, a scruff of the neck moment or a purple patch kind of similar to... The, the example I used was Stewie Dew in that 2008 grand final, Jake, where he just tore the game apart in about sort of 15 minutes. Someone you might not have expected to to be the X-Factor player, but who could do it for each team but in the x, finals. But
0: x has always been one of these... Buzzword terms that I've never fully grasped. I don't understand what it means. So, okay. what's your idea of an X factor? What
1: What do you mean by X factor? Not Not your meat and potatoes like Clayton Oliver getting thirty five and, and ten clearances. If it's Clayton
0: more... Oliver is meat and potatoes, Clayton <laughs> Oliver has got to be like a what? What's the marbling score? Like a wagging nine a+ or a. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um.
1: Yeah. So who's a who's a an X factor. Give like, me a... I feel like, okay, for Geelong, top of the ladder at the moment, I feel like an X factor in finals could be someone like Tyson Stingle, who's had a really good season. But you just feel like if if he can have a fifteen-minute patch of impact where he might kick two goals and set one up or something like that, he's a player that I can really see doing that for Geelong and winning them a game.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree. Um, but I feel like the the idea of what the player you're describing is it, is he, is every team going to have. Is every team's X factor going to be a
1: pressure half forward? It could be. Well, who would you suggest for Geelong could have a like Jeremy Cameron's another one. It but Jeremy will, Cameron's again, their Jeremy best Cameron, player.
2: Yeah, I look at Jeremy Cameron and Stengel, and I look at Geelong and how well they play. Stengel's got his role. He's there. He's their hit up. You know, we talk about money kick kicking inside fifty. He's the guy that gets it at half forward and makes things happen in their forward fifty. He's going to continually to do that in in the final. So. Yeah, he might come out and kick four instead of setting up four and you'll call him an X-Factor. But to me, you know, using your definition of an X-Factor, it's sort of sort of coming out of nowhere or sort of doing something that you haven't Unexpected, done all season. Yeah. It might be Dangerfield for them this year. I know he's just Whoa. had a good game on the weekend, but for Dangerfield to come out in play. a final... Sorry, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, the last time, sorry, the last time he played, yeah. he, had, he was, you know, the second half, he was a bit better. But um, mm. yeah, if he comes out and has 30 and three in a final, yeah. he hasn't done that all year. That's he becomes fair. Geelong's X-Factor, doesn't he? Whereas I think... I don't think you're giving Stengel enough credit. I think Stengel's role is entrenched in Geelong's team, and you sort and of
0: same as Cameron. I mean, Cameron,
2: yeah, Cameron's Cameron, another, has been
1: their best okay. player. Cameron all Cameron was a bad example. Okay,
2: all right. So the Pies, who would you suggest
1: to the Pies is someone who could really just take the game by the scruff of the neck? That would be unexpected.
0: Um. So obviously the the expected players are going to be someone like a Dugui or uh, yeah. um, Jamie Elliott. Elliott. But but again, I don't think they're players that are. X factors because they're known quantities. We know
1: what they're going to bring. So who's someone? I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. See, like Josh Dakos blooms for me. Like he's kicked one of the goals of the year. He's had a really good season, like an underappreciated yeah, season, I, while it, a lot of other players have had. A Nick lot more has port-its. taken
0: the the shine of the spotlight away from him a little bit. Mm. I think people are underestimating how good Josh Dacos is as well. Uh, yeah, I can I can certainly see that, but. Um, kind of to Christian's point about Stengel kind of know what you're going to get Play, pretty consistent performer for the most part this is what I'm saying he's going to have an out of the box yeah, he could he might uh, I'm, just, I'm just throwing up options might have 25 here. and kick, kick two or three goals yeah. the D's
1: D's desperately need someone to provide a bit of spark and we, we kind of see we've, we've lamented about the forward line in particular Jake just the lack of consistent impact from a big Yeah. Uh, and you might get a good performance out of someone like a Bailey Fritch but I, I would love to see someone like Ben Brown take the yeah. game you know Almost like form of of those three years in a row where he kicks sixty goals. Yeah. Until your, your point about Dangerfield, Christian, someone who maybe hasn't performed to the standards can, we have expected yeah. to him, but yeah. can do that sort of
2: thing. Mm, yeah, and even uh, another one for me is Luke Jackson. Um, I don't. Uh, I mean, they've they had the luxury. They won ten in a row. They were everything was going flying for them. So they sort of played Gorn half mm. forward and gave Jackson time the right. is the best ruckman in the competition. Give him ruck time in the finals, I think. Yeah. So if Gordon's playing so much time in the ruck, if Jackson can actually play as a 70% forward and start clunking some marks inside 50, which again, he hasn't yeah. done consistently all year. Mm. Again, I'm, I'm looking more for him. Brown, you know, I don't know if Tom McDonald will be back. Wiedemann can't get a kick when he's in that team. Fritch will kick you two or three. But if Luke Jackson pops up with a three or four goal performance and, yeah. and starts clunking some marks, and again, I, I see Luke Jackson as a forward being the x factor, I don't think you'll have... Even if he has a 25-touch a game in the ruck, I don't think he's changing too much from what you get from Gorn. Mm. But putting him up forward and getting four sort of contested marks from With him... With
0: that said, though, who was the player that turned the grand final? He was the player that, in my opinion, turned the grand final when he, sta- when he started rucking more in that third quarter, when they went on their run and they were just... The ball was pinging out of the centre... Has
1: the ability to X Factor?
0: Yeah, he does. I was, but before you, before you, you, that nomination, I was about to say, is it possible to have an X Factor that plays on the defensive half of the field? Oh,
1: of course, yeah. Well, who takes you know six intercept marks? Tom Stewart comes back into the. Uh, we we're <laughs> Tom talking Stewart. about you can, can we? Can we? no Nah, not that's not X Factor.
0: He's just a he's just a def- a good defender that you know. Uh, what you're you're, you're talking get.
1: about defenders like I talk about midfielders sometimes. <laughs> Meat and potatoes. Uh the Swans. Your 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 favorite club at the moment, Jake. The Swans. See, I've been so impressed with Chad Warner, but I feel like he's another
0: known quantity that we know we're going to get. Has become a known Is quantity. Is he this an X season? factor? Probably not.
1: Um, Nick Blakey, you said before. Nick
0: Blakey. Yeah, I was trying to think who I my, my, my nomination was. Yeah, Blakey. Speaking of players that play on the defensive side of the ball, but it's not f- so much for interceptability; it's the drive he provides off half back. Um and almost a fearless approach to the way he plays, hmm. play on at all costs. Sometimes like Collingwood to his style to him,
1: yeah. He, in terms of his decision making, and a
0: little bit because you know some of the other players, you know, like a Jake Lloyd is more of a you know sh- kick short mark, uh, short kick mark sort of type of player. Whereas Blakey is really a break the lines player, um, and they do have players like that through the midfield as well. But I think he do does it off half back and really gets the ball rolling and you get the ball into that forward line with Buddy and Papley and Heaney and, and Haywood and some of these guys faster gives them um, gives them more opportunity
2: Sam Reed? yeah I had Sam Reed as probably one of mine but again I was trying to again another forward so it's like is it <laughs> always going to be a key forward that I'm leaning into so yeah Sam Reid they're yeah, the money men yeah well the def- Sam Reed definitely crossed my mind and he again yeah he's he Offers something totally different to Buddy Heaney and Papley in terms of the the pack marks he takes. You know, you know the other three are going to sort of give you a couple of goals and be your star fours, But if Reed can step up mm. and have one, but another one that sort of plays a similar role to Blakey, if, if Nick Blakey gets shut down, I think seeing Justin McInerney take on that attacking role off half back and he plays a little bit more wing. But if we yeah, if we see Justin McInerney end up with a twenty five touches, yeah. five hundred meter gain game, in the if finals, I see watch that on out. the statue, I it's think a good that's a nomination
0: Sydney, because he's had a couple. He's had two or th- two or three games in the last two years where he's just been unbelievably good and just about their best player on the ground. Capable. Yeah. But
2: I've, I've made the comment a few times. He just doesn't seem like a four-quarter play to no, me. No. Yeah. Great tools and really, really good highlights. In a good play, you pick him every week, but I've never seen him yeah produce sort of four quarters of consistent footy in a game.
1: Brisbane, interesting, interesting side because I feel like on, on their day They've got a lot of contributors That can that can do it consistently mm. But if I had to sort of Pick out someone That I would think See I know who you're going to say well, Go on
0: You're going to say Zach Bailey aren't you
1: No of course not He's a star He's already got the He, he is an X Factor player But you kind of expect it Which okay. I mean I guess you can kind of Tick the box there And think that Yeah he has. He could have a game Where you'll kick four And yeah. have 20 like Kind of like he did on the weekend uh, But no 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 I had someone else in mind Although I've just I've been looking through my list here I'll
0: tell you mine While you're looking Um Cam Rayner, yes. capable, has has been pretty average this year, capable of turning a game with a real dominant performance. And similar to McInerney, not going to have a dominant game, but capable of having a quarter where he kicks three. He's done it before. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I think it's more on. It's more probably to that point on the Dangerfield example. We know they can do it, but they don't do it every week now. Um, so that's why, you know, locking Neal's not an X factor.
2: You know he's going to have... But that's why I find Brisbane really, really hard. I think that's been their strength for almost the last two years is their... They're full of X factors. I mean, they don't rely on Danaher to kick it because if Danaher doesn't, Hipwood might, and then Cameron might, but then Zach Bailey gets down. Yeah. We've seen Rayner kick four in a game. It's almost like they don't. That's Brisbane's strength is in terms of we've got five guys that can get you any week. Yeah, exactly. And if two of them turn it on, you're in trouble. So, maybe, really, really tough team for me to find. Maybe a it's uh, Reese
0: Matheson. Oh, yeah, was that your nomination? Yeah, yeah. I was, was who I had. Could could well be clearance Just, player. Yeah. Um, because I mean, outside of. Bit a bit of off topic here, but has Jared Lyons had a bit of a dip in form? Uh I'd no, actually, I
2: don't. Again, he's probably one of those ones that just hasn't gotten better. But I don't think he's been like Jared Berry's had it has a dip in form, whereas Jared Lyons has been pretty consistent. I just
1: yeah. I, I was thinking about that on the weekend, but he kept popping up, yeah, which is kind of his game, isn't it? Yeah, I, it but up. I
0: think um, I think. Yeah, I, I don't know. You'd have to ask Brisbane supporters what they think, but there's a few of them in the office here. But
1: is is Everybody. Matheson in the best 22 or best 23 for the Lions? I think uh, as long as Mitch Robinson's in the best 22, I think Reese Matheson is. I think that's kind of the, the, the level. But they, Can of, they like both be in the best 23? Oh, they have been the last few weeks. Yeah, no, I know. No, yeah, but but I've
2: got Matheson on so much of a different level to Robinson in terms of Matheson's going to get you. 15th. I agree. He yes. he's at the whereas Robinson's like, yeah, I get what he brings when he's up and about, but he can also be also, a bit you know, of a liability. At and times. he's and he's on a wing, so he's probably, you know, going up against a really, you know, we talk about underrated wingers and his opponent actually getting up and getting back around the ground, getting 15, 20 touches. You see Mitch Robinson a lot of time finish with six seven disposals in a game. Reece Matheson to me, I was you know I think we sort of touched on him earlier in the year. In, well, I think we spoke about guys that were just getting fat numbers in the VFL that just. Clearly, were you know ready to go if they were called upon. I sort of touched on Reece Matheson, but said he's probably a bit older than some of the other guys we're going to talk about. But I was looking at him, saying team's got a trade for Reece. Matheson. It, other teams need a Reece Matheson, yeah. and he was not getting utilized at Brisbane. Even the way he's been playing in the last three or four weeks, I don't know if he will be a walk-in starter for Brisbane's best twenty-two next year. So I'd be still trying to get uh, Reece absolutely.
0: Matheson. He's a he is. Um, who's a Collingwood player? A couple of years. Brayden Sire. Yes. He was one that it was, I think people were getting a little excited about. Similar type player. Inside player, he he was getting 20 disposals and about seven, eight clearances a game. I mean, tell you what, the Blues would love to have him this weekend
1: if, if Cripps and Hewitt and Kennedy all aren't playing. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, the Dockers. few nominations you could have here. And again, it's a very similar to a, a Melbourne side where they don't have consistent outputs from big forwards. We, we lament it all the time, and then Rory Lobb can have a, a game out of the box where he, Kicks four from, four outside, 50 from outside 50 that's, on tight uh, angles. Some of the best sharpshooting I think I've seen for a long time.
0: Didn't look like missing.
1: No, he didn't. Uh, until later in the game and he missed a couple. But uh, the, <laughs> 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 the a player that you can see for Frio just sort of standing up in the big moments who you might not expect.
2: Uh, I don't know if he will stand up in the big moments, but a guy that's got some very, very good tools on him and looks, you know, a, a complete player already, Nathan O'Driscoll. It's a it's it's a bit of a left-field one. I know he hasn't done a lot, but he, again, seen him kick some goals from that outside the 50. Goals seen, also seen saw him, some him, also big saw him
0: uh, kick that one in, out on the full from like two <laughs> metres out. <You> <laughs>
2: yeah, handsome shot. But again, he just seems to be that type of player that... Again, he's he's a mature-age recruit, so he's you know he's only played five or six games, but he's not a young kid that's sort of going to get overawed by the occasion. I just think that, yeah, he could be the type of free player to kick two or three very important goals in a final.
0: I'll go a different route. I'm going to go with James Aish. I've been critical of Aish over the journey, but we've seen twice now he's been given... Only twice. This is the thing I find staggering. We saw Finn McGuinness do a, a wonderful job on, on Miller on the weekend. But he may may not play that kind of role. Well, obviously it seasons ending, But who knows when he'll play that role again? James Aish, has his two best games this year have been the two games he he stopped Clayton Oliver, arguably the best midfielder in the league at the moment. At the moment, he's he should be doing this every week. And if he can do that each week, and who knows if they play Melbourne again, I'm sure that they'll do they'll uh, employ the same strategy. But he should be doing it to whoever they play the best the opposition's best midfielder. That and if he can if he can do the similar job as he did as he's done with Oliver, how's that not X Factor? That's a potential to swing a game, as it was done both times.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, moving on. Well, we- one, they won one, lost one, but They'll he whip- was still he still did his job both times. Let's whip through the next few teams because we're not even sure if they're all going to be making finals. The Blues,
0: <sighs> pass. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Jack Silvani is a bit a bit of, has a bit of X factor. Like, I, I think Carlton's a better team and talking, speaking as a fan, I think we're a better team when Silvani's in the side and I like, he's got good, good goals sense. He's smarter in the forward 50. Takes a good overhead mark. Yeah. Tactics D- competes. Yeah, I think he has the ability to, you know, probably, He'd I, relish a I, I think an X factor, my definition of an X factor is someone that is probably goes against the danger field thing, but not in your best seven or eight players. That
2: can sort of have an out of the box moment. That's what I mean. I don't think Dangerfield has been close to Geelong's best seven or eight players this year, which is why it's a, it's only a 2022 thing for Dangerfield. My X factor because he hasn't yeah. he hasn't been so good. But He's good um, badly injuries as well. Quick one for Carlton again, opposite end of the field, and what we've been talking. Mitch McGovern probably one for Ooh, me that like could that. could have a big intercept mark game. That, could you turn mm-hmm. it could. Uh,
1: the Tigers I think Noah Cumberland's a pretty obvious one given his form as well but like he's a guy that doesn't need a lot of opportunities to get see
0: I'm glad you didn't say Bolton there because everyone's just everyone's going with the same type of players you know I feel like it's Bolton that Zach I Bailey I have got a pretty it's...
1: wide range of players oh, in the they, discussion that. they do yeah
0: um, any thoughts just thinking Tigers um... do, 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 do. <laughs> is it Dusty <laughs> Is it
1: Dusty <laughs> you've just talked about like their best I seven. know but he hasn't played and who knows is he coming back we don't know he's just, oh, just been a bit of a I like it let's go with Dusty uh, the Saints Christian anyone jump out at you on the on the Saints list
2: yeah. well, I, I'm going to go with one of my f- personal f- I don't know if he'll be able to step up in a final I just want to drop Cooper Sharman's name in the podcast because, love because I, I reckon he'll take mark of the year in, in about two or three weeks there's a the um, big call in two or three sorry, two, two, two or three seasons Ruff. I should have said uh, yeah he's <laughs> certainly got a leap on him yeah um I don't know. Like Again, I was I was at the thing of Dan Hannabury Why are they persisting with him late in the year? Thought they could have went another way. But he has really impressed me the last two. He's converted me. I, w- I didn't think he should be playing. He's now clearly... There's Good something call. that they've been missing for the last we, four or we five weeks. We were
0: looking this up uh, before you arrived here today uh, about Dan Hannabury Since the end of 2018, I think he's played 18 games. 18 games for yeah.
2: St. Kilda, yeah.
0: That's unbelievable. And this is a guy that... In, that you forget how the good 2016 he was as well. grand final seemed to be a turning point for him. After that, but 2015 and 2016, I'm pretty sure he had back-to-back
1: top six finishes in the Browns. I was going to
2: say he, he he seemed destined for a Brownlow or a Norm Smith type thing. Yeah, the way yeah.
1: It was a big coup at the time. I know that he was injured before he made the move to St Kilda and was was battling those those injuries. But it was a big coup at mm-hmm. the time, and they just haven't been able to get him on the path but to but play 18 of can, about 100 games. Think to build a bit of consistency, and the Saints sneak in. What about yeah. the Dogs? the
0: Dogs make it. Dogs have a few of those type of players, um, but again, it's really I don't know, still don't really know what I still have no idea what the criteria is. We're just kind of making it up with <laughs> I each team. Just
1: explain it. But um, yes,
0: is it our man Dunks? I, I was thinking Dunks. Is in their best seven or eight? Yeah, we're, we're
1: disrespecting him. True. Actually. I just That's keep I just keep picking and choosing the way I want to do this. Um, what about? Well, we what? saw a big bag from Cody Waitman earlier in the year and just hasn't hasn't been consistently being excellent. Consistent, I, could, yeah. I could see him being an X-factor. It's sort of
0: faded out a bit since the AFL changed the uh, high <laughs> contact rule. <laughs> All right, that's the IQ to move on. The National Curriculum Football Podcast has a new home at ESPN to be found wherever you get your pods from. To mark the occasion, they asked us to make an ad around 15 seconds, but we're going to go an hour and a half. Laugh. <laughs> Staff have. (laughs) See you soon, guys. Auntie, you're a sod.
1: Uh, We're going to check in how things are going in South Australia because it's been a bit of a weird and a big week, Jake. We've most recently, Port Adelaide's been in the news because. We had uh, David Kosh, who's the chairman there, sort of saying that no position is safe. They're going to do a, a full review because it's the, going to be the worst finish they've had in 10 years and all this sort of bravado that you come to expect from Koshy. Uh But then Ken Hinckley was on uh, 360 last night and said that he. the indications are uh, Koshi himself has said that he expects me to be coaching Port Adelaide in 2023, as do I, and that's what I'm preparing for. I think I've been given enough assurances throughout the season, not that I needed them. Is he the man to, to, go, to take Port Ford? He's been there 10 years. Uh, yeah, coming up too.
0: Just thinking off the top of my head, there might be Scott, Scott Simpson, Hardwick and Simpson, I think, are the only current coaches longer.
2: Yeah, I, I sort of don't want to speak out of term because I can't remember the stat, but there is a pretty good stat in terms of 10 years and no premierships. Is a pretty rare club, I think, that he's part of um, in terms of even the guys that you mm. mentioned there.
0: 59% of games he's won.
2: Um, it's not a terrible...
0: It's not. I remember when you know we we spoke here six eight weeks ago, whenever it was, when Leon Cameron um, left the Giants, and we were all critical. And then you kind of look at the numbers and you think, gee, it's better than you think. It's it's. I mean, the last two seasons with Port sort of have inflated the numbers, but they've just always been a bit,
1: just not quite there. Not having made a grand final hurts. At least Cameron made a yeah. grand final, but Port have sort of stumbled at that prelim stage a couple of times when you feel uh, yeah. like they were they were minor premiers like I, I went down a rabbit hole on the weekend just of looking up some weird
0: stats and players that had lost in the most prelims and I noticed there were a few there wasn't top of the list but there were there was Wines and Boke and Gray and a few of the Port guys that have played and lost in three prelims never made a grand final as well as you said so they just haven't quite been able to get there they've been they've been kind of like a geelong of the last of the last sort of period where they've been good, and, and but just not quite there. But Geelong, we always feel like, well, they are a chance of winning at Port. For many years, probably even the last couple of years, don't know if we actually believe they could go all the way. Yet this year was the year people, many people were predicting they would go all the way, and
1: it's been their worst one. And look, can we put it all down to Hinckley? Because I've, I've been looking at their list, and I'm thinking, who's taken big strides forward for them this season? Who's improved? There's only two players. Well, yeah, we
0: only came up with, with two. There's two ticks this year for Port from a, like, Player individual player point of view, and it's Todd Marshall who's become a force in the forward line. Obviously, always a, was always a fantastic set shot for goal, maybe the best in the league at the moment. The stats will say, um, but just become so much more consistent and taking more marks and, and having more of an impact on games. And obviously, the move to put Connor Rosie into the midfield, he's been sensational since he's done that. And I still think everyone would say Sam Walsh is the is the pick <laughs> from that draft and the the rising star choice. But he has—he's closed the gap yeah. this year by by what he's
1: been able to do. But outside of those two, how many more ticks can you find on for Port? I mean, it's it's a bit tough because Ollie Wine's won a brown though, so. You can't really improve on that. Good, but yeah, hard to. Both it, getting it. older, has had a good few weeks and then had a few down weeks. Robbie Gray, his output hasn't been as high. So you've got to Motlock, expect that from Charlie these Charlie Dixon's kind of guys. been injured and, and hasn't yeah. had opportunity and but hasn't really set the world on fire since he's come back. Uh, we talked a lot about Willem Drew last year. Mm. Probably hasn't maybe taken the next step that we'd expected. As Aaliyah Aaliyah George Aaliyah as, Aaliyah as
2: a big recruit, sort, yeah. of, to yeah. sort of yeah, really sort of make an impact on it, the back line. The I mean, another one. I give a tick to is Jeremy Finlayson, but a weird one. Second start, second start. And again, but it's been out of position. It's not where Port would have Mm. wanted him to get a tick. So he's been great for him, but that's not what they, they didn't plan for him to be there. But is this on Ken? Again, I'm, I really, really hate talking coaches and people ending their jobs and things. I go back to 10 years, no grand finals. It's a very, very long time. Football cyclical. We know that, you know, if you're up the top of the ladder for so long, you don't get the lower draft picks and your age, your list profile gets a bit older and you've got to sort of reset or, you know, um, you know, people get you to know, call it all different things, refresh your list, and, you know, it's hard to stay up there for a long time. So it is, It's it's in terms of a, a club uh, that's only probably been around for 30 years, 10 years is a long time in its history, to sort of, again, they've shown they've probably had the talent, um, but probably just haven't been good enough to get to the, yeah you know, the final day. Does our man Josh Dunkley make that side a better team?
0: Oh, I think he makes every side a better team. He's a very you get good get to sign player. for the Dogs?
1: Very tight-lipped about it all as well. He is.
0: Yeah few few SA rumors floating around um, mm. hopefully we get the heads up on it when before it happens um oh, he of course he makes as i said he makes every any side better but does he does he put them does he take them from 11th or whatever they're going to finish this year to winning a flag next year no no player does um
2: but it, again we talk about I think we were going to talk about George Hewitt at Carlson and how much they're missing. It's it's the flow-on effect of, mm. with Dunkley coming in, it makes Wines's job a little bit different, maybe a little bit easier, and it makes Boke probably yeah. be able to get a bit like more to the I would like to see flake, Dunkley so. play
0: permanent midfield. I think he's done... Whichever club he plays for. Whichever club he plays, he plays for. I think he's done a, a really admirable, admirable job playing um, in the forward line periods period throughout the year. And I, I like the fact that Luke Beveridge does... Spin the magnets, so to speak, and try different things. Doesn't sometimes work. he persists with things and does things a little bit weird, like Trelaw playing as a defender. I just, just sometimes I don't agree with him, but you, he you does. Can't, try you can't accuse him of not having a plan. Yeah, exactly, he does. He's prepared to give things a go. But I think Dunkley, um, Bond obviously had a bit of a slow start to the year. Was I think he was carrying something, playing a bit more forward. But Bond and Pally is their best midfielder. And then and then you know McRae and Dunkley and Liberatore. Smith they've got a lot of players but I, I would make the case that dunkley is the next guy uh whether he stays or not i think he should be playing more midfield he's such a good um does everything well
1: mm,
0: good pressure much. player great tackler smothers prepared to put his body on the excellent line excellent meat and potatoes and
1: is capable of winning 30 disposals uh across town adelaide more fallout from the camp after Gee, the 2023 okay, if we'd done Grand the pod, if
0: we did this podcast 4 days ago it would have been top story instead of what is it? The eighth uh, thing we've spoken about?
1: Are we getting there? Uh, look, but it's the issue that won't go away. And it's I, I was just thinking back about the whole timeline, Jake. I cannot think of a club that's had a worse five years. And there are some contenders there. I mean, Collingwood, obviously, have turned things around. But like they had some really poor off-seasons and some list management decisions. Well, worse
0: five years from where they were. From where they were. Yep. They
1: were a team that were kicking 120 points a game in 2016 and 17. Made the grand final. Were pretty in favourites. They were $1. 62 to win that grand final. Uh, I remember not the
2: crowds either, but there would have been fifty thousand just banked into Adelaide out. Oval yeah. every week.
1: And uh, like you know, you'd have right. Jenkins That's kicking for yeah, Tex Jenkins, Lynch, Lynch. Cameron, Bess.
0: Bess. They were kicking one twenty every week. They were so they were so dynamic. The midfield, you know, this is back when the when Crouch when brothers were there. The Crouch brothers were there, and there was no criticism. And Sloan and Laird was playing at half-back. Laird wasn't playing in the midfield. They <laughs> back were in the good old days. The good old days. And then as you say, that camp, that camp. Uh, at the start of 2018?
1: I, I am flummoxed that it is still being revealed. And obviously, Eddie Betts's book, I haven't read it yet. Uh, I do plan to get to it. I do go, plan to go and buy it this week. Uh, but we've obviously seen the snippets of it that have been in, in many articles. Uh, it, it just flummoxes me that the club thinks that it could have covered this up and the AFL could have covered this up to the extent that it thought it had mm. uh, and not expect more details to come out. And some of the details have been horrendous. It's um, just... Disrespectful it's, to Indigenous Australians, families. You know, is pathetic. Uh, yeah. Again, going
2: even uh, like you know the award that Sam McClure had to hand back and yeah. the apology that the Age wrote. It was just just. To to see now what the AFL and you know the Crows and the Players Association should have known that yep. Sam McClure knew is just disgraceful. Gross
1: it's- mishandling from a lot of people at Adelaide and at the AFL, I think. Yeah. And uh, no, no wonder there are calls for play- uh, for people like Mark Rusciuto, who's one of the chairmen there, to, to kind of step down. But even he can't really read the writing on the wall that maybe it's time to have some fresh influence at that club. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's really steadfast in wanting to continue to be a part of that club. And, you know, he always said that it was a good experience and, and but he's very close with Roy Sloan and Taylor Walker. I'm pretty sure they have um, they own a, a pub together, I'm pretty sure in Adelaide. I think they do, yeah. And so of course, you know, Sloan and Tex have said nothing but good things about the camp and that they took a lot from it. But you're getting this sort of overwhelming feeling, Bryce Gibbs, Eddie Betts, um, Josh Jenkins, as we've discussed, who are part of this this list that are now growing and, and sort of saying that it's it was horrendous yeah. and it should and never have happened. What's
0: and, the what's the Similarity between those that are talking about it and those that aren't. Well, the ones that are still there aren't talking about it. And, I, and you can
2: understand that. But there's also the one I can't get my head around is the the whole, they were in a separate group. So I don't know how many players were in that separate group. Yes. But it's like, how were you trying to promote unity within your group if nine S- or 10 separating. of them were sent on a more extreme one? And they're the ones that I think we're going to hear mm. from because maybe Walker and Sloan were on a completely different camp. Yet you're sort of saying we did this to bring the club together. Then why weren't they all yeah, it's, at the same
0: place? I actually don't like reading about it. It's, no, it's, it's one it's, of those things. I yeah. just I need to read it, but I don't want to read it. And it's it's sad. It's pathetic. It's embarrassing from a professional uh, sporting team at the as we said, who were favorites going into that grand final. And before the season had started, they were Richmond might have been flag favorites at the start of twenty eighteen, but they would have been second or third. So it wasn't like oh my god, we, you know that was Adelaide's shot. They're gonna they're never gonna have another go. And it all unraveled after that. And it's just been an exodus of players. And I was just trying to think. So that was 2018. So four years ago, four and a half years ago now, and trying to think, okay, who's still on the list? Who's still there? I had a I mean, rough count. I didn't look at the
1: full list, but I could only really look, find about eight or nine players. In the best 22. Like
0: list? Overall, yeah. Like
1: overall? I think it was. it's just been a real eye-opener. And you can now look, and, and to clubs who have PR managers and, and people high up, might listen to this podcast. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, don't don't cover that sort of stuff up. I think mm. the reason it's dragged on for so long is because it's been released in drips and drabs, and more details have come to light. I think once they realised that it was not a was not a as you know solid a plan as they thought it might have been, would have been to come clean completely and say we completely stuffed up. We are so incredibly sorry. We've offered support to all these players. Uh, uh, PR one hundred and one, and I think they failed so bad, and it's yep. a little wonder they've had just the, the the shocking last few years that they've had. Shout out to uh, our good friend Rowan Connolly
0: Who's currently on holidays Over in Bali Hope you're you're enjoying Bintang Roko Uh, But he wrote a really good piece Before he left Um, Bintang is Bali isn't it? It is yes Yes I haven't (laughs) been there since 12 12 years ago Um, He wrote a great piece on it And just talking about that sort of culture and how that that sort of toxic masculinity still exists in football and how We're kind beyond of gross it. and sickening it is in We're this day it. and age. And it is, I agree, hundred percent. Footy is my favourite sport, but I hate a lot of the footy culture around it. Uh, uh, the uh, that sort of old school mentality, which is just pathetic. It's just lame. It's I, unnecessary. I, n- exactly. It just need to move on. So if you if you're after a read. Um, really
1: interesting, nice insights. Yeah, give it a give it a look on, on the website. ESPN.com.au forward slash AFL is where you'll find that. Those that have listened to the pod for a while, many years, uh, will know that we love pressure and all things pressure stats on this podcast. Uh, we've looked at pressure factors, what they are, which teams do them well, which players do them well, and all that sort of stuff. But Christian has dug up some more interesting individual bits and pieces which have piqued their interest.
2: Yeah, again, this is... Um Probably you can read about this again another article will be written by Jared Barker uh, for the oh, deep dive plug, this plug, week plug. so a good man. yeah so I just sort of I uh, <laughs> don't want to steal all of his thunder but yeah some looking at pressure we know what pressure is and we see Fox put up the pressure factor um, which is probably the most visual. But do we
0: know what it means? Because well, we see a number and it's like, well... We should actually do a very, very you know, quick refresher well, for those that... Very, oh, haven't it's listened 216. To the podcast. That's very, off the charts. Very well, quick
2: refresher without without going into values and things like that. But yeah, it's basically we measure how much pressure each disposal is under. So when you dispose of the ball, were you being tackled? Were you being corralled, chased, closed? Different things. And when, then we... So we look at your disposal, how much pressure you're under and who was applying that pressure. So again, we're... We, Jared, um, in the deep dive article, we looked at the pressure players. So, sort of, who's putting pressure on? Um, how much value is that pressure worth? So, obviously, if you put on twenty pressure racks, but they're all closing acts, and another guy puts on ten pressure acts that have that are all physical tackles, they might end up with more pressure points, even though they've had less pressure racks. So, Cause there's always
1: because the, the 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 denominations are physical pressure, as in like tackling and bumping and all that yep. sort of stuff so
2: yep hands on the body is about 3.75 so again we use that as 375 points you would get for a physical pressure act that's based that- on making it 3.75 times harder for the disposal to be so executed. the highest the
0: number can ever be is 375 yes. everything is tackling right, so yep. a
1: 200 pressure rating which we see sometimes is pretty good
2: yeah and that's what the teams just again once you we did it for 2010 we did it for a full season differential was a very big number. It didn't matter what your pressure was as long as it was higher than your opposition because if you play a high-pressure game, you invite a high-pressure game. But if you can put on a high-pressure game and then break the ball into space, teams were looking at that number. Once you had a big sample size of, you know, three seasons worth of data, I think everyone sort of cottoned on, hey, this 200 number is a good number to hit. If we can reach this 200 without... Without knowing exactly how we get there, either. the players don't need to know. Okay, I'm I'm putting a tackle and I'm getting three point seven five foot. They just need to know it. when you come in at quarter time. If we're up over two hundred, we're in a good spot.
1: So three point seven five for physical pressure like a tackle. Then below that, it's uh, closing.
2: Yep. Uh. Yeah. Closing, which is um. So coming at a player from the side or front and really taking away the space. And then the next one, what does that? What that, does that get? Sorry. Uh. I don't. I think it's about two point eight. But again, yep. I don't. Yeah. Don't have the figures below right in front that. of me. And then chasing is chasing. the next one. So actually, bridging the gap between a player, but you're more behind him. So he's still got that. You know that that space in front of him. So yep. that's a little bit lower. Yep. And corralling basically means, well, you're not going in at that. You're not going to let the player get around you, but you're not getting any closer or taking away mm-hmm. any space. That's probably the, that's the lowest sort of the pressure value you have. And then outside of that, we also have no pressure in set position. So a player can have the ball and not be under yep. any pressure. So who's nailing it? So this year, it's actually, um, you know, the record's there to be broken. So 30 pressure acts per game for Sam Berry this year. Highest in a season is 30.1, Devin Smith, uh, 2018. So this is 2010 onwards. Two big
1: tackle nam- names here. So that, that would have been Devin Smith's massive tackle year that he got Yes, that. yep. And obviously, Sam Berry, well-renowned this season for being one of the best tacklers.
2: Yeah, correct. So he he's uh, 30 pressure acts per game is, the as I said, the most this year and the second most since 2010. And third most is Matt Rowell, who's also mm. at uh, 29 okay. pressure acts per game. So it would be third. But again, looking at pressure points... Matt Rao wouldn't even get into the top 10 for the most pressure points in a season. So his pressure is obviously a lot more of the corralling or yep. the, the chasing things. Sam Berry, with his 30 pressure racks, is getting 76.8 pressure points per game, um, which again, at the moment, it's it's second overall. Dom Cassisi in 2010 had a uh, 78.5, so a pretty big gap. I don't think uh, Sam Berry can close that one, but Sam Berry, again he has say about 35 36 pressure acts in each of the next two games he becomes the most pressure acts ever recorded in a home and away season so again well the Crows not got
1: much to lose he might as well look at that and I say i to say
2: not one of those stats where you can sort of measure it like oh he's got you got another <laughs> kick he's getting closer it's like oh every time he puts a tackle on you you get he's getting closer to the pressure act record so it might not be uh might not be a big countdown for it but again I can sort of give you a, an update 2 weeks later uh 2 weeks down the track whether he breaks it but another one that stands out for me is taking it one step further, your pressure can cause turnovers. Yes,
1: Uh, that's an important part of pressure.
2: You can pressure a guy but he could still be hitting the target, but your pressure can cause turnovers, basically from a turnover you want to punish that with a score so looking at the guys that have applied pressure that their team's been able to score points from their turnovers Um, and again, this year's leader is Morris Rioli at 106 points, Richmond has scored from turnovers caused by his pressure pressure. and he's played 12 games so again, looked at only eight times have we seen a guy generate... At least, at least a goal a game. Yeah, we've, we've seen at really least... two. Eight times we've seen at least 100 points generated from turnovers from your pressure across the season. Um, and that's 13 seasons worth. The seven other players all played 21 or 22 games to get there. So in across his 12 games, his pressure is phenomenal. And there's, Jeez, there's one bit that stands out for me. I think it's the Frio, the Frio game. He lays a tackle on the far wing where he grabs the guy from behind by the wrist. <laughs> and pulls down a 90-kilo bloke by the wrist. And I just thought, that's just strength. You just don't get away from him when he uh, puts the clamps on. That's
1: an unreal stat. Mm. That's a lot of points for the considering the games that he's played. That's nearly two goals okay, a game he, that Richmond is better off with him in the side. I think his game pressure.
2: time's about 60% as well. So 60% of 12 games across the season. So, yeah, phenomenal.
1: Unreal. Uh running out of time. We've uh, almost gone an hour, would you believe. Uh, is the hype justified or is it hyperbole? Jake, keep it brief. There'll yes. be a tie in the Brownlow this year. Um... No, there
0: won't be. I think Lockie Neal's going to win it again. Better here first. Yeah, and I think, I think I can picture Gil reading the votes out for the last for the time. last time. Yeah, yeah just yeah. thought about that. <laughs> um, Getting sentimental. Reading the votes out, and in round twenty two, leaving the Brisbane, um, Melbourne, Melbourne game. Brisbane no, that's home? that's no, the that's last game. No, Who's Kilda? Brisbane Saint Kilda. This Brisbane, Saint Kilda oh, sorry, where Neil will poll poll votes this week, and that will put him four or five ahead. So, I, so what I'm saying is long way around, but I think he wins it before the round twenty-three votes are announced. Mm, ESPN.com.au
1: yeah. forward slash AFLs. We can find Jake's Brownlow predictor has uh, predicted seven of the last eight.
0: Seven of the last eight, yes. There you so go. going for a hey, the last
1: nine. <laughs> Uh, Christian, before we wrap things up, the Blues will miss the eight. Uh,
2: most likely. Oh, oh you're and you're I, I just you're again to fill <laughs> us with confidence. Well, here's the confidence again. Go back to last week, and I told you, it's, it, I wasn't devastated to miss the eight. And this gives me a little bit more confidence. Different time, different era, but I feel like the way. And again, talked about Port Adelaide and club trajectories. Clubs, you know, going sort of cyclical. The last team to not make finals after being in the in the top five I think it was back then but being in the finals for the whole season mm. besides the final round oh, no. was Carlton 1977 so Carlton missed the finals in 77 after That's having what, I don't know it wasn't alive but what seemed like <laughs> it was a good year to be in the finals all year. missed out at the end what happened after that though they won premiers premierships in 79 81 82 so well, uh, you heard it to me first. to me 20 and, and again <laughs> I tried to say it last week 2022 isn't Carlton's aim I think it's it's about a 3 or 4 year success yeah. period and I think that could be coming. The
1: the, uh, the, the silver that,
0: lining is as we spoke about a couple of weeks ago is Carlton is a young side. Yeah. There, I can't, there's, there's no one's
2: there's, and there's no one out of contract this, yeah. We're not losing any player that that's, we don't want that's to.
0: That's that's the the positive. But I still look at it and think gee.
1: Should have been a better result given given 8 and 2. Uh, yes. Let's wrap things up there. Thanks for being part of the Carlton Support Group for another week. Uh, if you have any com- comments, questions, feedback, at uh, Footy Tips on Twitter, to everyone at home, we'll speak to you next week.
0: Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod, wherever you get your podcasts.